Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Nakubo In Brief podcast. I'm Megan Schneider, Senior Director of Government Affairs at Nakubo. And joining me today, I am thrilled to have Pat Lane from the Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education, or WICHE as we call it. And Pat is the VP for Policy, Analysis, and Research. Pat, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me on. So, Pat, uh, can you tell us a little bit for our uh, listeners that may not be familiar with WICHE and um, specifically, because I know this is what we're probably going to focus most of our discussion on today, um, WICHE's Knocking at the College Door project? Sure. Uh, so, WICHE is what's known as an interstate compact organization, which um, isn't really that important uh, for our purposes here. Um, but essentially, we're a membership organization uh, that's made up of the Western states and territories. And our mission is to increase college access and success for all residents of the West. Our member states range from the Dakotas out into the Pacific, where we have Hawaii, the Commonwealth of Northern Marianas, and Guam. We're governed by uh, three commissioners from each state, and they essentially set our work for a given year or even um, longer terms. And one of the things that they have focused quite a bit on over the years uh, is this idea of what's the supply going to be for post-secondary education. Uh, so I guess dating back almost 40 years now, uh, Wichi has been, been doing projections of high school graduates out into the future. Uh, and this is a piece of work that the commissioners have felt is so important that they have asked us to do it on a national basis. So we do this for every state in the country. Um, and at this point, we're projecting out uh, usually 18 years into the future. And we've done these projections about every four years, um, going back, as I said, 40 years now. So we've, it's, it's been a core part of Wichi's mission, and it's something that we'll continue doing for a long time. We'll, for all of our listeners, we will have Wichi's Knocking at the College Door project linked, of course, in the show notes. Um, but it's a, as Pat mentioned, a very interesting um, sort of demographic projections, trends reports on um, all sorts of data related to high school graduates. Um, but Pat, I noticed in that data, and I also was lucky enough to hear you speak in person recent, recently, um, you talked about some really interesting shifts in U.S. fertility rates, um, which I thought was so interesting, because I think those of us in the higher ed space, and certainly here at Nakubo, that is probably something we should be mindful of, but maybe don't pay as much attention to as we should. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure, sure. And and fertility rates are really not something that uh, most people think about too much. Um, so no problems there. Um, but if you take the long view and look back into the 50s and 60s, um, there was a time when we were ha averaging about three and a half to four births per woman in the United States. And that declined quite a bit um, into the 1970s when we dropped below two. Um, 
But then what we've seen recently is as that number sort of flatlined for a long time, uh, leading into the Great Recession in 2008, it started to drop again. Um, and it's a little bit of a fun fact that um, fertility rates usually predict recessions with an astonishing degree of accuracy. Uh, so people just don't want to have children um, when they sense a recession coming, which, which sort of makes sense. Um, but usually what we've seen in the past is that there will be these slight declines going into recessions. And then as the recession uh, turns around, the birth rates pick up again. Um, but we haven't seen that this time. Um, so from 2008 to uh, about 2017, we've seen about uh, a 25% drop in fertility rates, which is a big deal. And, and it, it matters a lot once you start to project out um, how many people there will be in different age groups, which is sort of the, the uh, key foundation of what our high school graduate projections rely on. Yeah, absolutely. And for the, you know those of us in higher ed, a, a significant drop in the population means a uh, significant drop in demand for higher education. So that is fascinating and really helpful to know. Um, so we're definitely seeing that people are having less babies, but you mentioned that, that your study looks at um, data across all 50 states. So where are they having the babies? Are we seeing anything in terms of population shift um, that may be uh, important for higher education? administrators to know or is particularly notable in any way? Sure. I, I think if you look at um, how the data break down across states and across regions, um, what we've shown is that uh, particularly in the South, um, you're expecting to see continued growth in the number of high school graduates out through about 2026, uh, whereas the Midwest and the Northeast uh, it's a pretty grim picture where numbers have been declining since 2008, and um, there's nothing we see in the data that you would expect those numbers to turn around. Um, you're, you're going to continue to see drops in, in those areas, um, and generally, it's, it's consistent with other trends showing um, the you know, our population is slowly shifting uh, out of those regions and into the west and into the south. Yeah, absolutely. That that has um, huge potential ramifications for those those schools located in the middle of the country. So that's really helpful to know. Yeah, definitely. And you're starting to see, um, you know, this is all anecdotal. So it's it's sort of like the uh, uh, you know single uh, piece of data, not really anything that we would put in a report. But you hear a lot from people about where they're recruiting for students now and, and where they're sending their. Uh, teams to try to bring more people into their schools, and you're starting to see uh, more and more people head out to um, places they haven't traditionally gone to look for students. Um, and that's going to be a, a continuing trend, we think. Um, schools in the Northeast can obviously look at the numbers as well as we can and uh, use that to shape uh, their strategies for recruiting students and trying to keep their enrollment numbers up. Wow. Yeah, that is fascinating. So, and again, I know that we're just discussing things anecdotally here, like you mentioned, but um, so in terms of that, are you seeing more schools or anecdotally, have you heard more schools in the center of the country um, recruiting on the coasts or in the South when otherwise they haven't been or traditionally they haven't been? Yeah, I think we're definitely hearing a lot more of that uh, sort of stories of, um, you know, recruiters just running into each other, you know, from the Midwest and other regions of the country. And, you know, depending on the season, it may be nice to get out of there, but that's not something that they had traditionally had to do. You know, if you look back 15 years in higher education where 
you know, there were just new students consistently walking in the door and you didn't have to worry about things like this. Um, so I think that's one strategy we see a lot of. Um, you also see a lot of schools that are trying to focus more on adult students and in bringing back those who may have um, tried to complete school at one point, but for whatever reason weren't able to. Um, and that's certainly a, a group that um, could potentially benefit from post-secondary education. And, and if schools can um, do things that better serve those students and really uh, meet their needs. That, that's potentially another group that could come back in the doors. But you know, schools just say, "Oh, we're going to go out and get adult students," um, and don't change the way they serve them. If you think particularly about those people who left, they left for a reason. Right. So if you're not addressing that reason, you know, I don't think it's going to uh, make a big difference. The students will see through that pretty quickly. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, reputation is sort of a a big role in higher ed. And if, you know, uh, adult students that haven't finished and attempted to go back and it it still didn't quite work out, you know, people talk. (laughs) For sure. And conversely, those schools that uh, serve what we sort of call the non-traditional population, well, although, of course, they are very much a growing part of the student population, uh, get a reputation for being great in terms of serving those groups. Yeah, yeah, and you definitely have seen isolated cases of um, some institutions sort of reinventing themselves as as adult focused institutions, um, and and sort of similar thing for uh, some, but definitely not all schools with uh, online and distance based students. Um, you know, that's something everybody can put in their strategic plan for how they'll grow enrollment, um, but actually carrying it out effectively, I think, is is a much more difficult task. Absolutely. Amen to that. Um, So looking at your data, Pat, I saw that from the mid-90s through the first 10 or so years of the 2000s, it looked like we saw a sizable increase in the number of students graduating high school. Um, But is that still the case today? Um, No. It's a short answer. (laughs) Um, Easy. We can go on to the next one. Right. Um, (laughs) I guess are there any notable projections for uh, for graduation rates? Yes. So um, what we've projected and and has largely been borne out in the data is a relatively flat line. Um, And this is, again, at the national level with some state and regional variation. Um, But in recent years, it's been relatively flat. Uh, It's projected to be relatively flat out through uh, 2026. Um, at that point, um, we're expecting a slight increase going into 2026. And then um, if you're uh, quick at math, you'll note that 2026 is 18 years after the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we'd start to see a lot of uh, uh, projected declines in the number of, of um, high school graduates. Tying back uh, to that population decrease that you were talking about or fertility yeah. uh, decrease. Yeah, yeah. And some people have, have called this the uh, enrollment cliff. Um, I think that might be a little overdramatic. Um, we'll certainly see declines um, potentially in the number of 18-year-olds. But I think there are, uh, if you think about the path from birth to potentially going to college, there are a lot of places where uh, um, we could improve the pipeline. We've started to see some improvements in high school graduation rates across the country if that uh, continues to to increase, you could see more and more high school graduates that could offset some of the overall um, declines in the total number of 18-year-olds out in the future. 
Um, the same thing with college growing rates. Right now, I think they're you know just under seventy percent for that that first year out of uh, high school. Um, but to the extent those numbers could improve, you could also offset some of that population decline. Good to know. Wow, that's that is super helpful. Um, so I, I know that you all don't just look at the number of students uh, that are graduating high school and the rate at which students are graduating high school. You also look at uh, the demographics. Um, are we? Are there any noteworthy demographics uh, by factors like location, race, things like that that you found in the data that might be helpful for uh, school administrators to know? Sure, sure. So we talked a little bit about geography already, but mm-hmm. but just to sort of um, draw a finer point on that, um, what we are are seeing and have projected for the Midwest and Northeast are declines of about thirteen percent between 2008 and 2032, which is a big deal if you think about the total number of students. Um, In the West and the South, we're actually uh, projecting the South to grow slightly up until 2026 before they have a slight decline that leaves them right about where they are now. Um, So over time, you know, not a ton of change, although there's some variation in between years for the South. Uh, And the same is mostly true for the West, although um, the West would have a slightly larger decline after 2026 than the South. Um, so geographically, there's definitely variation. And, and even if you break it down beyond um, regions and go state by state, which I, I don't uh, imagine people want to hear, um, we could go through that in, in some detail. And um, that can be useful for administrators, depending on where they're drawing students from. Um, the race and ethnicity is, is also something that's been a feature of our work um, for many years now, and it's largely told of pretty consistent stories since we've started doing that. And that is the, the high school graduating class is getting more and more diverse. Uh, we're seeing more and more students of color, um, and the numbers are, are pretty stark. Uh, if you look back to 2000, um, the high school graduating class was 69% white. Um, if we look out to 2032, what we're projecting uh, based on our last edition in, in 2016 is that that number uh, will drop to 51%. Um, and that change is largely driven by an increase in the number of Latino students. Um, so on the one hand, this is a, a terrific story of, of improvements in uh, high school outcomes for students of color. Um, but if we look at it from the post-secondary uh, perspective, these are students that have been traditionally pretty poorly served by higher education. Um, so going forward in the future, as, as the high school class continues to increase in diversity, we think those institutions that can really um, serve these students well will ultimately fare the best. Um, so I think from our perspective, it's a, it's a moral case to improve the equity in our post-secondary systems. But um, looking at these numbers from an enrollment management perspective, there's also a business case to be made. Uh, I think those student, those schools that really serve um, students of color well will do much better in the future than those that don't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that certainly seems to be true. Um, and we have talked a little bit about this, but have you seen colleges, and you mentioned that uh, those that serve, best serve these growing populations um, will fare better in the long run? And of course, the equity case is equally, if not more important. Um, but have you already started to see some colleges respond to these changing demographics? 
um, to meet the needs of a slightly different um, population than maybe they were serving 30 years ago. Um, I know that we did talk about some changes in terms of recruitment um, and, uh, you know, online education, but is there anything you can expand on there? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is anecdotal. Um, you know, we could go through some of the policy changes that are, are hopefully making improvements as well. But the other day I was talking to a uh, college president who talked about this data and how um, they have used it to revamp not just their recruitment and outreach, um, but really looking at how um, students from different backgrounds were faring at their school in terms of progression, retention, and completion. And once they identified big gaps, they started to um, talk to students and to figure out how they could um, fill those gaps and how they could uh, hopefully, you know, decrease the stopout rates and things like that. Uh, and a lot of that is looking at some of the systemic barriers that could be in place um, that that may discourage students from certain backgrounds from uh, completing degrees. So I think... Um, you know, as institutions take an honest uh, look at at their uh, student population and where their weaknesses are, um, we don't necessarily need to have a decline in students uh, that are coming in for them to um, figure out how they can serve these students better. The college completion numbers overall, um, there's certainly room for improvement there. Um, so it's not a case of, you know, the sky is falling, we're not going to have enough students. Um, there are more than enough students out there for institutions that serve students well to thrive. It's just a matter of, of looking at the systems and the, the policies and practices that are in place uh, to help those students succeed and to uh, ultimately keep uh, school populations up. That actually leads perfectly into um, my last question. So uh, taking into account everything that we've talked about today, um, what are some top level conclusions you could maybe tell us about the demand for higher ed in the future? Because I think, you know, the, the news media is sort of saturated with this idea of all of these colleges are closing and in the future colleges, a, a great amount of colleges are going to continue to close and uh, higher education is... Uh, not changing quickly enough. Um, and we're going to be faced with sort of this, uh, if you read the media, it, feels, it sounds like we're going to be faced with just a rash of school closures because there are less people going to college and less demand for higher education. Um, so any, any thoughts on that? Oh, uh, lots of thoughts. <laughs> um, where to start is the question. I think um, the bottom line about the the projections and the demographics are that the number of 18-year-olds is going to level off and decline. Um, that's sort of a fact of math and uh, basic human biology. Uh, there's not much we can do about it. Um, but I think it's also to also important to realize, um, and I don't want to bore people with a, a long discussion about the methodology of our projections, um, <laughs> but the way they do, the way the projections are made, we take into account um, high school graduation rates, um, progression, retention rates, et cetera, but just as they are today. So it's a steady state projection. To the extent um, any of those factors improve over uh, you know, the next five to 10 years, you could very easily offset some of this coming decline. Um, so this doesn't need to be a chicken little, the sky is falling uh, sort of situation. Um, so that's uh, one somewhat muddled takeaway. I guess another one um, is that there definitely will be state and regional variation. 
Um, we know um, what the population trends will look like by region with with reasonable certainty. But I think you can expect to see a lot of variation by states as as you know different states start to adopt different policies and to look at um, different ways to push more students through high school and into college. Um, you could see a lot of, of changes there. These projections are not necessarily written in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's another important point to consider. Um, I think a, a, a third point is uh, going back to the question of the diversification of that student body. Um, I know I mentioned this before, but um, increasing equity, not only is it the right thing to do, but it can really... Um, help institutions that are concerned about future enrollments um, find ways to uh, keep their student populations up. Um, so I think that's, that's you know, again, it's, it's something that we, sh- we need to be doing for its own sake, but it also has a, a very strong, compelling business case. Um, then I think a, a final point is to think um, sort of more broadly about the demand for higher education, because we try to draw a relatively stark line between what our projections are and what the demand for higher education actually is. Um, Because we limit ourselves to projecting um, just high school graduates. Uh, For folks that are really interested, um, a guy named Nathan Graw, his last name is G-R-A-W-E, has put out a a book um, and he has a website that um, takes some of these high school projection numbers and then... um, builds a model that factors in different things that um, make somebody more or less likely to attend college. And he builds a model that really looks at um, what demand is going to look like into the future for higher education. Um, and what he shows um, is that there's strong variation, again, by um, geography, by state, um, and it's relatively consistent with our high school graduate projections. Um, but he also breaks it down by sector and by um, selectivity of the institution. And generally what, what his numbers show as far as selectivity go are that um, highly selective institutions don't have a lot to worry about. Um, you know, there will still be a, a strong demand for, for those institutions. But um, down at the, the regional level, there may be... Um, more challenges, and that's where you could see some pressure put on um, different institutions. Um, you know, as, as far as the different projections that, you know, half of all schools will close or, um, you know, back in the, the, when was it, 2015 or 16, when MOOCs were all the rage and people projected there would be three or four institutions that would take over the world and, and everybody else would close. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think we'll, we'll see that level of, of contraction. There will undoubtedly be some institutions closing. Um, I think you'll, you'll see those that are sort of under the most pressure um, and in regions that have declining populations, there may be uh, closures in those regions. But what we know about the economy and the future workforce demands are that, you know, more skilled workers continue to get higher premiums and have lower unemployment and better job prospects. Uh, so you'd think that would continue to push uh, um, more and more folks to go and get some sort of post-secondary credential, you know, whether it's that traditional four-year degree or two-year degree or certificate or, you know, some of the new credentials that are out there. Um, all indications are that those credentials will continue to be very valuable to people uh, in the workplace. So um, 
there will continue to be a demand for post-secondary education, and it may look slightly different than it does now. Um, so yeah, that's that's a handful of takeaways. I guess I could keep going, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense um, based on what you've said. So this, the sky is not falling, not all is lost, uh, but uh, certainly policymakers and those of us that work in higher ed and those that uh, do the work of delivering higher ed probably have some work to do in uh, thinking about who we're reaching out to, who, who we're recruiting, who we're uh, creating pipelines for, and how we are teaching them. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... You can look at any of the outcomes data on post-secondary education and find huge room for improvement. It's no secret. Um, so if we had made all those improvements and we had great uh, retention and graduation rates and the numbers of high school graduates were dropping, then there would be, then the sky might be falling. But <laughs> until that point, we've definitely got um, work to do and, and plenty of students to serve. Well, Pat, thank you. Your, your, uh, all of your information has given me a lot of hope <laughs> that I think we don't always see reflected in the media. So it's, it's just work to do. It's work for all of us to do to, uh, to see how we can better serve our uh, student populations, which is great. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's been a, a pleasure to join you today. Thank you. Uh, and for those of you listening, you can continue to get uh, Nakubu in Brief podcasts via the Apple Podcasts app the Stitcher Play app in the Google Store, and of course, always on Nakubo's websites. Be sure to join us for our next episode, and thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm.